Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. God bless you and thank you for joining in again today on the program. I hope you're getting uh, accustomed and acclimated to us being on this channel as we continue to expand to different networks. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in, and I know sometimes you may catch a, a program here and there and then you forget where we're at, but uh, set your DVR. If you're enjoying what we're saying and watch us on a weekly basis, we are on several networks, so if you miss us on this weekend, just look at your TV guide or on the grid of your guide and you'll be able to find us. Also, outside of, uh, uh, of that, please let us know when you call or you write what network you're watching us on so that we know which ones are, uh, we have an audience on and so forth. It helps us in making decisions as to where uh, we are uh, uh, having the most impact. Uh, but without uh, a whole lot of uh, introduction today, first of all, though, uh, let me say to you that if you miss our program on the regular television, you can go to YouTube and watch us on demand. Uh, you can watch us on demand at YouTube and simply by typing in that you might have life or Dr. Lynn Hiles and all of our videos will come up. Everything we've aired to date is there for your enjoyment. Also, we have a podcast, it's on iTunes, and it is the audio version of this television program. So if you miss it today, you want to go back and re-listen to it, you thought, boy, he said something, and I'd like to get, hear that again, go subscribe to our iTunes and our YouTube page. All of them are free. And uh, share them with your friends. Share them on Facebook. Tell your friends about it. Help us get the word out uh, uh, that you're enjoying the word that we're preaching. And we are deeply grateful for that. That would be a blessing to you. Uh, also, uh, I just want to tell you that the, the main focus of our ministry is that we are very Jesus-centered. We are very Christ-central. We preach the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ and His finished work is the filter by which everything must flow. Because we preach a strong finished work, Jesus-centered message, the grace gospel is the result of an understanding of the finished work. So we preach the finished work, we preach the gospel of grace. And with the gospel of grace, we, we understand that it says because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. The word reign there is a kingdom word. So we preach the gospel of the kingdom as well. Hallelujah. So we preach the finished work of Jesus' cross, the grace of God, and the gospel of the kingdom. All of that is really wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but people understand it as very different things sometimes. But I think you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be stretched, enlarged, and we pray that a spirit of revelation comes to you as you listen and watch us on a weekly basis. We deeply appreciate our consistent uh, audience. I'm going to go back into the Word this morning or today, and uh, I want to go back to Psalm 149. We began to uh, introduce this last week on the program in Psalm 149, and we just really only covered one verse, which was, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Let His praise be in the congregation of saints. I'm going to read the whole text, then we'll come back and reiterate a lot of things. Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto Him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify 
the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all of His saints. Praise ye the Lord. Now what we began last week to really emphasize was we got through verse 1, sing unto the Lord a new song. And what we showed you is that in Revelation, the fifth chapter, the new song is the song of redemption. They sang, as it were, a new song saying, Thou hast redeemed us to God. So the song that they're singing is really the new covenant song of the redemption that the Lamb brought. Last week I explained a lot of that probably in much, much greater detail. And we went through some things like His mercies are new every morning. We talked about how Isaiah prophesied and says, Behold, I do a new thing. And we talked to you about how the new thing is just not the newest revival coming down the pike, but it's the new thing was the new day, the new covenant that was coming on the scene. God's only done, I believe, one new thing, and all of the, the that's involved in that new covenant is wrapped up in that, because in that His mercies are new every morning. In that, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In that new song, uh, uh, he gives us a new spirit and a new heart. We speak with new tongues. Uh, there's a new covenant and a new man and a new song and a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And last but not least, he says in Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. So the new thing that sets the stage for what the psalmist is pointing towards is the unveiling of a whole new paradigm, if you will. It's a new covenant mindset. So when we come to this psalm with that, we come then to verse 2, and again it screams new covenant because it says, Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto Him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He beautified the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. I'll come back and get that in just for a moment. But uh, with that thought, Again, chapter 149, book of Psalms, verse 1 is dealing with new things. New covenant, new heart, new spirit, new man, new song, new Jerusalem, new day, everything that had to do with the new covenant. Now, if you'll go with me then uh, to the book of Hebrews, I want to talk about let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. And I want us to go, if you will, in your Bible, go with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And we're going to begin uh, to read in, uh, let's see, uh, uh, in verse number 18 of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But, watch this, you are come unto Mount Zion. You're not coming to Zion, but you are come unto Mount Zion 
and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. And you've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Watch this, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, let me come back and, uh, and reiterate some things. He says, first of all, for you have not come to Mount, you have not come, let me get to exactly, for you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard and treated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. That mountain that Hebrews 12 is talking about is Mount Sinai. That's where the law was given. Now what he's dealing with in the book of Hebrews is he's talking to Hebrews. Audience relevance is everything. One of the things you're going to hear me reiterate over and over and over is, who is he speaking to? What is the time zone and what is the backdrop of the story? He's talking to Hebrews, literal, physical Hebrews. How do you know? Because that's the title of the book. And these Hebrews, this word itself, Hebrews, is, comes from a root word that means to cross over or the crossers over. But these Hebrews this time are not crossing over out of a physical bondage into a physical promised land. They are crossing over out of a spiritual bondage and into a spiritual promised land. Let, let me just add this. Back when I was teaching the book of Revelation on another network, in the 11th chapter in the 8th verse it says this, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And all of a sudden, I preached that verse for years, but it never dawned on me that our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt physically. So it calls it, said, Our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Well, anybody with any sense or biblical understanding knows that our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But what the Spirit does is makes a divine connection to Egypt and connects that to Jerusalem. In other words, where our Lord was crucified, He called that Egypt. And for the first time I began to think in terms of the bondage of slavery that they were coming out of under the Old Covenant was the bondage of Egyptian slavery, but in the New Covenant they're coming out of a religious bondage of slavery and slavitude, because under the Old Covenant you were servants and slaves, but in the New Covenant you're sons. So the shift is from slaves to sons. Hallelujah. Boy, my spirit just starts to explode when I start to talk about this stuff. So he identifies, see, a lot of times in my thinking, I always identified Egypt as being whatever we call the world, rather than it being 
the bondage of religion. And, and you know, the, the Apostle Paul, and I believe it is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or 2 Corinthians 10, he said that everything that happened to them under Ma Moses happened to them for an example for us upon whom the end of the age had come. Now, he wasn't talking to us. He was talking to the Corinthian church. And he said everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as an example for us upon whom the end of the age had come. So in other words, they were delivered. Everything they saw by type and shadow under Moses was only an example of what would happen for them coming out of the bondage of religious bondage. Say it another way. Under Egypt, they were delivered by a physical spotless lamb. In the new covenant, they're getting delivered from a spiritual bondage of law and legalism and servitude and slavery by the blood of Jesus who redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we were delivered by the blood of the lamb. In, 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 in Exodus, they're delivered by the water and baptized into the sea, into Moses. In the new covenant, we're baptized into Jesus Christ and we cross over out of our bondage and into a promised land. I've said this in, in, in uh, some of my most recent programming here, even on this channel, that, uh, 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 that 50 days after they came out of Egypt, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and, and God gives them the law. And 3,000 people drop dead. In the New Covenant, exactly 50 days after Jesus is slain, they're in an upper room, and God gives them the Holy Spirit and 3,000 are added to the church. Under the Old Covenant, 3,000 drop dead. In the New Covenant, 3,000 are added. Why? Because under the Old Covenant, the letter kills. In the New Covenant, the Spirit gives life. Uh, I think that's powerful pictures. Under the Old Covenant, Jesus said, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and those rascals are dead, but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. So He's the real deal in the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, uh, there was a rock that followed them that was smitten, and water came out. In the New Covenant, Jesus is the rock that was smitten that the water flows from. So do you see that everything that He's talking about is another exodus? They're coming out this time out of a spiritual bondage and into a New Covenant paradigm where they are no longer servants and slaves, but they are sons. I think even when he uses the paradigm about Sodom and says to them, it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah the day of judgment than it would be for you, because if they saw the miracles you saw, they would have repented long ago. And he was talking to natural Jerusalem, but he identifies that natural Jerusalem again with Sodom and Gomorrah in Revelation 11, 8, when he said, where our Lord was crucified in the city which was spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So everything that happened to them by type and shadow under Moses is fulfilled, the type and shadow is fulfilled in Christ, even clear down to where, man, this is some good stuff to me, but even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, because when they began to murmur and complain, snakes came among them. But in the New Covenant, he said that we don't follow up the same example where they murmured and were, were, you know, were slain by snakes. Because in the Old Covenant, see, if, listen, this is powerful as well. If murmuring creates an environment for snakes to operate, just think what would happen in an atmosphere of praise and worship. That's why we sing unto the Lord a new song, because if, if murmuring created an environment for snakes and devils to operate, I'm telling you, praise and worship creates an environment for God to worship, or for God to manifest His power. And Jesus grabs that in the New Covenant, and He said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I, 
if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This spake he concerning what death he would die. And so uh, everything that you saw by type and shadow under the old covenant, Jesus fulfilled it because we're in another exodus. But this time they're coming out of religious bondage. And the writer of Hebrews 11 is saying, you did not come to the mount that burned with fire. You didn't come to blackness and darkness. In other words, you did not come to Mount Sinai. You did not come to an old covenant paradigm. You did not come to a tangible, touchable, physical mountain. You've not come to, you know, and I shared this in a prior segment, but he said, for you did not come to the mount that might be touched. These Hebrews are wanting to go back to the touchable, tangiblenessness of a physical mountain, they're wanting to go back to the tangible touchableness of, a, of the, the pomp and ceremony of a Levitical priesthood. They're wanting to go back to the physical tabernacle and the animal sacrifice and the smell of the incense burning in the tabernacle. They're wanting the physical tangible. But he says in the new covenant, you've not come to the mount that might be touched because in the new covenant, it ships from a natural physical tabernacle to what? No, you're not. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a new temple. In, in, in the old covenant, it was the tangibleness of a woolly, bleeding, dying lamb. But in the new covenant, Jesus is the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Under the old covenant, it was the pomp and ceremony of a Levitical priesthood and the processions that they would lead. But in the new covenant, it's a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Under the old covenant, it was a natural building. In the new covenant, it's a spiritual building. In the old covenant, it was a natural, physical piece of real estate that was the promised land. But in Hebrews 4, the promised land is no longer a piece of real estate. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, it was a natural, physical Jerusalem. But in the new covenant, Hebrews 12, you've come to the, we've come to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We have already come. And the contrast there is, you didn't come to Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. And here's the, see, we're on this verse here in Psalm 149. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. So when he's talking about, everything about this psalm is, again, screaming new covenant. In the Old Testament, again, he's saying to them, let the children of Zion, not the children of Sinai, not the children of the Old Covenant, but the children of Zion. And so the contrast he's giving you here in Hebrews 12 is, you didn't come to Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to fear and trembling. You didn't come to a God who says, stay away. But you are come. You're not marching to. You're not going to one day be there. You are come to Mount Zion. And you are come to the city of the living God because the city of the living God is not a place. It is a people. Hallelujah. And again, that's a whole subject matter in, in itself. But Abraham was looking for a city in Hebrews 11 whose builder and maker is God. But he introduces what that city is. In Hebrews 12, it's the new covenant community of faith built on the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstones. So when he's talking about let the children of Zion be joyful in their king, uh, he's talking about coming to a different mindset. And let me just say this as well. One other thing that I think powerfully pictures this is that when the children of Israel, even everything that you saw under Moses by type and shadow, you see it in the new covenant being fulfilled. Jesus was the rock that was smitten. He was the bread that came down from heaven. 
uh, he was the lamb that was slain. But as we continue this journey in the wilderness, then there's a character that comes on the scene by the name of Joshua. Yeshua, same name as Jesus. What are you saying, Brother House? I'm saying Moses brought you out with a rod, but Joshua is going to bring you in with the mercy seat. Hallelujah. Now that's powerful to me. Moses brought you out with a rod, Joshua is going to bring you in with the mercy seat. Now when Joshua gets ready to bring the children of Israel into this promised land, he asks God for the strategy, and God says to him, listen, Tell the people that when they see the ark, the chest of the covenant of the Lord, and the priest bearing it touched the brink of the river Jordan, to follow them and cross over because God is going to open the water of Jordan clear back to a city called Adam. Now I don't think it is an accident then that Joshua tells him, he said, I want you to pick out 12 men and tell them to pick up some rocks from the bottom of this river, carry it to the other side and set it on a pile. Because one day your children are going to ask you, what does this memorial of a pile of rocks mean to you? He said, one day your children are going to ask you, what meaneth this pile of rocks? Now I want you to fast forward 1,500 years where John the Baptist is coming down over the bank of the Jordan River. I submit to you that it's possibly at the same location that they crossed over before. You say, why is that? Because when John steps down into the river Jordan, Jesus comes down over the bank of the river, and Jesus, if you will, is the chest of the covenant of the Lord. He is the mercy seat, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And, Josh, and, 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 and uh, uh, John the Baptist looks up over the bank of the river, and he says, God is able of these stones to raise up children to, to, to Abraham. I submit to you that he points to that pile of rocks that he told him one day your children are going to ask you what does this mean, and what you're going to find out is it means that when you see a priest carrying an ark step in the middle of the river Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross over. Let me tell you what, John the Baptist was the priest because he's the son of Zechariah, and he's the son of Zechariah, and Jesus was the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and he's about to carry this ark in the river, and right there's that same pile of rocks, and what it should have said to every scribe, Pharisee, and religious dude right there is, hey, this is the real crossing over, because this time we are crossing over not out of a physical bondage, but out of a spiritual bondage into a spiritual promised land. And I'm going to submit something else to you as well, because if John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah, he is the heir apparent to be the priest after the Levitical system. But since his mother, Elizabeth, was also the daughter of a priest, that gives him priesthood on both sides, which qualifies him to be the heir apparent to become the high priest. But what's happening here in this river is that John the Baptist is about to relinquish his priesthood. And when he said, we must fulfill all righteousness, he's about to baptize Jesus in the water, not because Jesus needs baptized for the remission of his sin, but because every priest has to be washed with water. And so when Jesus steps in the middle of the river Jordan, and John the Baptist is about to, uh, to baptize him, uh, Je uh, John says, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, suffer to be so, because we must fulfill all righteousness. I submit to you that what John was doing was inaugurating a new priest. And what he's saying is, man, there's another priest. He is relinquishing his priesthood and saying, he must increase and I must decrease. And if there is a new priest after the order of Melchizedek, if there is a change of priesthood according to the book of Hebrews, there must of necessity 
be a change of law. Hallelujah. I also think that when he carried Jesus in the River Jordan, again, it was a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm, I'm starting to run out of time, but I want to quickly say this, that when Mary Magdalene stooped down and she looked into the tomb, she sees an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had lain. Now, to me, the stone being rolled away powerfully pictures the fact that the law has been fulfilled, taken out of the picture, not to release dead, stinking flesh, but to release the power of resurrection. And when the stone is rolled away, she sees an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had lain. And what's between these two angels is what's called our propitiation. It's literally the Greek word mercy seat. What Mary just found was the real Ark of the Covenant and it was the thing that was standing in the shadow. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the whole Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And what John the Baptist was saying is, it's time to cross over. Hebrews 12 again says, it goes on to say, for you did not come to the mountain that could be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to an innumerable company of angels. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a brand new covenant. So everything is screaming new covenant. You've come to, uh, you know, everything about it's better. And then he says to them, see that you refuse not him who speaks from heaven. For if we refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we refuse him who's talking from heaven? The contrast here is the one talking from earth was the voice that came from Mount Sinai, and everything was shaken by that voice. But what the apostle is saying here in Hebrews is there's a voice that's talking from heaven. Say it another way. One voice from earth is old covenant. The voice talking from heaven is new covenant. And what he's saying is if you think the one that spoke on earth is going to bring a shaking, you just watch and see what's going to happen when somebody starts talking from heaven. When somebody starts preaching the new covenant, it will shake everything about this religious system that can be shaken. That's what's going on on a global level with the gospel of grace. It's a word from from heaven that's shaking every religious concept and idea that can be shaken. And he goes on to say, so that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The shaking is not coming from political upheaval. The shaking is coming from a word from heaven. That's the contrast here in Hebrews 12. And he goes on to say to them that this word signifies the removing of the things uh, that uh, of those things that are shaken as the things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. See, there literally came a fire in A.D. 70 that burnt the temple and all of the elements of Judaism to the ground. God so dismantled that whole system that it was shaken to the core See, this is not something that's way out in the future. It was shaken, and what remained was the birthing and the beginning of the kingdom of God that we now live in that's full of righteousness, peace, and joy located in the Holy Ghost. We're out of time. Take a moment. If you're enjoying the program, write to us. Let us know. Let us know where you're viewing us from. You can go to our website and send an email at info at You can go to our public profile on Facebook, Lynn House Ministries, and hit like, and you'll see stuff that we advertise and where we're going to be. Uh, take a moment, though, and, and write to us with that uh, address on the screen or sow seed into the ministry through the phone via credit card or by sending check or go to our website and give. God bless you. Thank you for your partnership. It means the world to us. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. 
Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.